BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This Ben Jarofsky show, Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky show as I speak. It's Friday, October 23rd, 2020. Lord knows when you're listening to it because this is a podcast. I'll tell you what's in the news today. Give you an idea of what's going on in the world. Uh, here's a headline from the paper. Rudy Giuliani is a pervert. No, I'm just kidding. That's not the headline for the paper, (laughs) but it could be the headline for the paper. And it very much relates uh, to what we're going to be talking about today with my distinguished guest. So as I always do with distinguished guests on bonus interviews, I ask uh, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Take it away, distinguished guest. Uh, I am distinguished guest Sergio Mims. Among many of the things I do, I'm the uh, co-founder and a co-program of the Black Harvest Film Festival, which will take place next month, um, later than usual uh, because of the situation we're in right now. And like every other film festival that's going on around the world, this will be a virtual festival. Uh, we have a whole, we have a lot of movies, but it'll be available on um, streaming on the uh, Cisco Gene Cisco Film Center. Website. You can just go on their website, ciscofilmcenter.org, to um, check out what we'll be showing uh, of films and documentaries and shorts and all the stuff. And we'll be doing panels as well. Um, there'll be Zoom. Of course, they'll be on Zoom. But we'll be doing panels. And um, hopefully next year we'll be back to normal. All right. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. It's my favorite film festivals. And the last time Sergio was on the show, we ran down uh, some of the movies that will be uh, available at, uh, at this year virtually. Uh, so I would urge everybody to check out uh, that interview with Sergio from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, all right. So what we're going to do today, uh, Sergio comes on every now and then to talk movies. Uh, he knows more about movies, really, than anybody I know. I think he's seen every movie in the world and remembers it, which is the extraordinary part about it. I've seen a lot of movies, but a lot of them I forget. Uh, two movies in particular that we want to talk about. They're uh, very relevant uh, to what's going on politically, uh, and you can watch them. They're available. You don't even have to leave your house, ladies and gentlemen. You can watch them online. Uh, the uh, Chicago 7 movie by Aaron Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin's movie, and Borat 2. Let's start with, we're going to talk Chicago 7 uh, movie first. I'll begin with my thoughts, Sergio, then we'll kick it to you. Um, I already wrote about it. I've talked about this a lot on the show, and I wrote about it for the reader. Um while I was watching Chicago 7, Sergio, I was enjoying it. I was liking the exchanges that Aaron Sorkin did. And as the film went on, I began to like it less. Uh, and then as time has gone on, I've liked it less and less and less. Uh, and the issue for me, uh, he's talking about a very real event 
the conspiracy trial of 1969, 1970, and you and I are the exact same age. We were in high school at the exact same time. So we both remember this. It's, it was a, a result of the 1968 Democratic Convention and the police riot where they whacked the heck out of anti-war protesters. Um, I have a real trouble with directors and uh, and screenwriters changing history, rewriting history to fit their movie needs when it comes to a narrative movie, uh, particularly in this day and age, uh, Sergio, where Donald Trump is just lying all the time, calling uh, real news fake, fake news real. QAnon is rising as a conspiracy theory, a very potent force in uh the Republican Party, as we'll talk about with the Borat film. Uh, so I'm I have a hard time, Sergio, um, just going along with the notion. Well, Ben, calm down. It's only a movie. So ultimately, I feel that Aaron Sorkin did a tremendous disservice uh, to politics today uh, with his movie. Your thoughts? Well, OK, first of all, I enjoyed the film a lot. Um I remember the riots. Uh, I remember the trial uh, that it went on like forever. <laughs> and I still really didn't understand. I was too young to understand really what the trial was all about. Though, of course, I do remember that significant scene when the judge had Bobby Seale handcuffed and bound. That, mm-hmm. that made news around the world. Right. Um, but... There's never been a movie made about a historical event that has been historically accurate. And, um, okay, let me phrase it this way. Even though I don't know all the details of exactly what happened in the trial, it was obvious there were some things that were like, okay, BS. Like, that final scene, the prosecutor shows, believe me, he didn't stand up. Okay, even even I would know that. No, he. Why would the prosecutor stand up during that scene? Would have read enough the names of the of the people who who were killed mm-hmm. uh, in Vietnam. Um, there are other liberties too. There are a whole lot of liberty. Oh, here's the biggest one of all, and 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 a few people have brought this up, and it's a it's a line that takes place off camera, so you got to listen carefully, right? But it's a scene. Early on, when the secretary um, is um, well, well, first of all, the the the, the uh, defense office, the people backing the the defendants, they had a house in it. Okay, they had a house, right? Yeah, I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. Yeah, birthday, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, Mr. Hyde Park. I know where you're going with this. Go ahead. Right. <laughs> By the way, wait, hold on. Well, let me just say one thing before you say it. I, I should have said this earlier. Uh, we are not going to make any attempt uh, to protect you from what happens in this movie. So I should have said this early, uh, like I did when we did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. If you don't, haven't seen the movies and you don't want to have any spoilers, come back later after the show and listen to us because we're not going to conceal it. We're going to presume that anybody listening has seen it or doesn't worry about scene spoilers. I should have said at the upfront. Go ahead, Sergio. Pick up where you well, were going. The secretary says, yes, you can send a contribution. Our address is 28 East Jackson in High Park. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Right, right. We're located right on the corner of Jackson Estate in Hyde Park. Okay. 
All right. And I said, hey, Aaron, once you get a city street map, if you're yeah. going to make them an address, get a city street map, look at the address, and look at where actually High Park is located, and make up an address. How about 5824 South Kimbark? You know, but no. 28 East Jackson. By the way, there was probably a historical address. If I, I was not, I'm not aware of this, Sergio. I know I'm ancient, but I, I do not know where the the Chicago Seven, Chicago Eight uh, defendants were having their headquarters. Yeah, Let's say it wasn't Hyde Park. There must be a real Hyde Park address, right? Right. right. Um, and, and there's some things too. Once again, you're Chicagoan. There's a, there's another thing where we see the protesters marching down Grant Park, right? <laughs> yeah. And then we see them going like west from <laughs> no, it's a Balbo. No, west from like Eighth Street, uh, then turning and going north from Wall on Dearborn. Yeah. And, like, and then they're back in the they're back in, in uh, Grand Park. And it's like, well, how do they get from <laughs> And then it's another thing where they're um two two of the people uh, are go to the field museum. Mm-hmm. And we see a shot of the field museum. And then we see him sitting in the park there in the Grand Park. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how did he get? <laughs> yeah, no. I, All right. I, listen, I I share that. I'm more forgiving about that stuff. I, I agree with you. It's funny. Yeah, but the, yeah. what, they, I when did he shoot this? I didn't know they were shooting this film here. So it's the the riot actually. They shot it in Grand Park. And I said, wow. When did he shoot this stuff in Chicago, in Grand Park? Oh, it must have been last summer. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, usually they, they will find some other location, you know, or in another city. But he actually shot it in Chicago in Grand Park. So I give him a lot of credit for that. Um, they actually find one of those old Chicago paddy wagons. Where did he mm. find those things? Wow. <laughs> Somebody, some collector still has a Chicago paddy wagon? I mean, yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, but it takes a lot of liberties. But at the same time, you got to give the film. Oh, by the way, a lot of people don't know, this film was originally supposed to be directed by Steven Spielberg. Mm. This was a feature film he had been de- developing for some time. He was going to do this. It was going to be a theatrical movie. It wasn't going to be for streaming. And then something happened. He left the project, and Aaron Sokard, who wrote the script, decided to take over as director. Okay, um, but but the thing about it is that um, uh, in terms of what we're going through right now, the movie is very relevant, right? And you can f- criticize Aaron Sokin for the dramatic liberties that he takes. And also there's some really sharp details that maybe I picked up that people may have forgotten about. Um, in order to make a point. Not so much about what was going then, but what's going on now. So I still give him credit for that. Yes, of course, the address thing in Hyde Park still bothers me. <laughs> and them walking from, yeah, I don't know how they leap across one area of the city to another, you know, it's, uh, but of course, you don't live in Chicago. You won't know that. But yeah, no. I, I uh, the worst one of this is I remember uh, way back when in the early '80s, the movie Risky Business. And uh, there was I, I know you've seen that movie. Uh, and there's yeah. the scene on the uh, the the elevated car 
and Tom Cruise gets on downtown somewhere and then he gets off somewhere. I don't know where he gets up, but I remember going, wait, that brown line doesn't connect in any way to where you just, could you cut off at like a legitimate station where all of a sudden he's in the underground? But all right, here, let me, let me phrase it to you this way and get your response. He bends over backward, Aaron Sorkin, to have the right paddy wagon. Okay, I got to have the right paddy wagon. Right. Uh, And yet he contrives that scene at the end, which was just one of many contrivances to prove his point. He had the the right wing prosecutor, uh, the agent of the Nixon Justice Department, um, standing in solidarity with the radical protesters to read the names of the dead in Vietnam. It never happened. It never would happen. Uh, If anything, uh, the uh, radical protesters would have been as sympathetic to Vietnamese dead as they would have been American soldiers dead because that's what the anti-protest movement was all about to a degree. They were slaughtered on both sides. And no prosecutor would dignify the defendants by rising with them. He did that purely to make a political point about how in the 2020 election, there's no red states, there's no blue states, it's just the United States, let's elect Joe Biden. And Sergio, I just could not tolerate, I could not forgive him for taking a very real thing the conspiracy trial with really live human beings and all their complexities and then using them as pawns in this larger political game. Well, a couple of things. He sets that up from the very beginning. He sets that up from the very beginning when the actor who plays that part of uh, Schultz, uh, uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt, mm-hmm. you know, clearly he has qualms and second thoughts about taking this job in the first place of being the prosecutor. Uh, once again, that's a lot of li- that's taking liberty. Like I, I really don't want to do this. They like twisted my hand, and also the fact that um, the actor, I can say the actor saying, "Well, I don't want to play really a bad guy. I want to play a guy who's sympathetic." Yeah, um, I can say that. Now I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something that's a read detail, and um, there are a couple scenes where. Uh, well, here's the connection. Sasha Baron Cohen, who we're going to talk about soon, mm-hmm. and uh, plays in the movie Abby Hoffman. Right. Which I think is great casting. That's like great casting. Yes, okay. it was. And, um, you know, Abby Hoffman was like the clown prince of the radical leftist movement. Mm-hmm. And then you had Jerry Rubin, who was sort of like the oddball, like sort of out there guy in the radical mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. Um and then you had uh, Tom uh, Tom Hayden. Who did Tom Hayden marry? Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda. They were married for a while. Okay, so there's a scene, the couple of scenes where uh, Hoffman is in a nightclub, okay, or he's doing shtick, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's wearing this shirt that's made out of an American flag. Mm-hmm. All right. That's something he actually wore. Yes. He actually wore that shirt. And mm-hmm. that reminds me of... To explain people, Abby Abby Hoffman, I forgot he had committed suicide. I forgot about that. Yeah, he committed 89. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But like I said, he was the clown prince. And he would appear on talk shows. And he was always joking. And basically, he would do stand-up shtick. And he appeared, if people remember Merv Griffin, 
who uh, had a couple of talk shows and later he made a ton of money producing game shows. Mm-hmm. Merv Griffin had a late night show around that time on CBS up against Johnny Carson Tonight Show. And he had Abby Hoffman on as his guest. And Abby, and I remember seeing this as a kid and I forgot how I was 12, 11 or 12. I don't know. Seeing this as a kid and watching it, Abby Hoffman came out and he was wearing a jacket. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, Merv Griffin said, uh, you know, talking and then Abby Hoffman said, Hey, let me show you my shirt. And he took off his jacket and CBS literally blanked out the side of the screen where Abby Hoffman was sitting. So you saw Merv Griffin on the right on sitting at his desk and the left side of the screen uh, where <laughs> Abby Hoffman was sitting was yeah. black. They blacked him out because CBS said it was too offensive for this guy to wear a shirt made on American flag. At the time when they blanked him out, I didn't know what happened. Yeah. And I said, what, what happened? And you watched this show with the left side of the screen was blacked out. Yeah. And I said, what? What's going on? And it wasn't until later you found out the reason they blacked it out because he wore that shirt. Yeah. And, Which, and yeah. Yeah. And that just underscores the point I'm making. That's, that's a great anecdote to raise uh, because it was a very volatile time to put it mildly. And people like Abby Hoffman were reviewed as dangerous uh, conspirators who were undermining our entire system of government, our entire way of life uh, and demeaning and mocking what really is important in America. And it's so funny now because the American flag, Sergio, these days is used all the time by right wingers. MAGA is always a, Putting the American flag as bandanas, right. you know, there, shirts. There are American flag bikinis, there are American flag shorts. Yeah, there are, uh, there are American flag anything with American flag you you can put on. You, you, they'll use it, right? But at the time, the country was so volatile, and and that's why I kept telling younger people, right? You think today's crazy? It's always been yeah, crazy. No. Should have been around back then. <laughs> so so um. Uh, the idea is that um, uh, the, the times were so crazy back then, and networks, the TV network, was so super sensitive that they felt that a guy wearing a shirt made American flag would inflame people <laughs> and get them angry. They actually blacked out whenever his side of the screen. Yeah, no, that's wild. I, I. I... I don't think I ever saw that one. And I've seen Merv Griffin shows. I don't thought I saw that one. Now, before we leave uh, Chicago 7 and move on uh, to uh well, to I will board. tell you this. I, I like this film. I do like it. Yes, despite this dramatic liberties. I do like the film. I think it's the best, it's best thing Sorkin has done as a director to date. I think he shows. I think he shows much more confidence as a director, as he has done in previous stuff. I don't think he is self-indulgent. A lot of people criticize this movie as being so. I don't think it's nearly as self-indulgent as some of his previous. Sorry, sorry as some of his previous works. Mm-hmm. Now, because of the format, since this is a trial, a political trial, that lends itself more easily to speechifying. Yeah. 
Okay, so it tends to flow smoother than, say, a drama or another film when the film stops with somebody make a speech. Yeah, and and he had his employed uh, courtroom scenes. Uh, I can think of at least three other movies. Uh, Molly's Game, wasn't that what it's called? Yeah, Molly's About the, Game, right. Uh, but there's yeah. a, some courtroom scenes in Molly's Game, A, F- a Few Good Men, obviously. It's all right. leads up to the cross-examination of uh, Jack Nicholson by Tom Cruise. And then um, it's Social Network, which he wrote. He didn't direct, but uh, so much of that movie is a deposition. Right. So it's not a courtroom, literally, but it's, uh, like a, it's an interrogation. So he loves... You know that uh, format, and uh, he, he. Yes, you're right. It leads itself to speechify. Do you like Aaron Sorkin speeches? On a whole, I don't. I don't. I, I actually, I'm not the biggest Aaron Sorkin fan. He has his devotees. Mm-hmm. I am not because I find him too didactic and uh, two on the nose. But in this case, I think it works because of the subject matter and because of uh, the whole format of the picture. I think his style works for this kind of picture. And which is why it didn't bother me as much because it it flowed with the rest of the film because that's what you expect, right? Mm-hmm. And then you know there's all those characters who you met David Dillinger. I said, oh, I forgot there was a guy mm-hmm. named David Dillinger, right? And um, Tom Hayden, and of course just Julius Hoffman. Yeah. And um, all those things that happened in during that trial that lasted damn near six months. Oh yeah, no, it lasted forever. All right, before we right. move, one last question before we go to uh, Borat. Uh, I think I may have mentioned this before. I can't remember if uh, you share my uh, attitude in this. Probably not, but I'm going to throw it at you. I'm starting to get my inner Donald Trump, and that has to do with. Constantly casting Brits as Americans. Uh, I think I may have talked to you in regards to the Fred Hampton movie that is being made right now. I don't know where well, they that's are. Already shot. It's, it's coming up sometime next year. Okay. Right? I do not understand why they could not get a black man from the city of Chicago to play the role of Fred Hampton. There are a lot of black actors in the they city. Got, they, got, they got a guy to play Fred Hampton in this movie. I said, gee, why didn't you get that? And actually, that guy in the movie in in um, in Chicago Seven yeah. looks kind of more like Fred Hampton than the guy they got in the movie coming out with. Him. Yes. He looks nothing like Fred Hampton. Right. Daniel Kamula is a fine actor, but he looks nothing like Fred Hampton. All right. So let's see. In Chicago 7, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, a Brit, plays Abby Hoffman. Right. Uh, Mark Raylance, a Brit, plays William Kunstler. William Kunstler. Uh, the, the, the Tom Hayden uh, character. Is whose Eddie name, Remain? Eddie a Brit. That's yeah. three right there. I may, I may be overlooking others. And... Uh, Tom Hayden's son, by the way, is an actor. I don't know if you know that. Tom Hayden's son uh, is an actor. He was in Barbershop. He was the white barber in Barbershop. Oh, right, he is. You're right. You're right. Because I'm not saying a lot. Everybody's talking about, you know, the Jane Fonda's son. You know, the Jane Fonda's son. Okay. Yeah, he's also Tom Hayden's son. <laughs> so you could have gotten Tom Hayden's son. He's right there. But no, you go across the pond. Come on, Sergio. What's going on here? <laughs> God damn, man. Yeah, you know, they, they don't let me halfway through the movie. I, it don't let me. I was looking at Eddie Romain. I go like, wait, he's British. Uh, Margaret Lance is British. 
you know, Sasha Baron Cohen is British. Yeah. Yeah, they got a lot of Brits in this movie. And also, it's, <laughs> the thing is that also is that, of course, they all had to, none of them were around during the time, so they had to do research, yeah. you know? Uh, and I, I don't know if a Brit can really understand what was going on in America at that time. No, I, uh, it's, no, it'd be difficult. And I think. Now, any uh, good actor can play any part. I'm, yes. not, I'm not criticizing that. And, and by the way, I should say that all the performances are great in this picture. They really are. All the performances are really good. Um, yeah, they are. I, but, I'm not complaining about the, particularly uh, as Sasha Baron Cohen as Abby Hoffman. I right. thought he did a great job. And also, right. I, thought, I thought Michael Lance did, was really good as William Kunstler. Yeah. He almost got his voice right. Almost. Almost. Um, uh, I, I, I've been listening to a lot of interviews with uh, most of these characters who are deceased, and it's remarkable to hear their real voices and then, you know, com- contrast them. Uh, William Kunstler had a booming, deep voice. Right, he did. Bravado. Yeah. Uh, Sergio Mims, thank you so much from the Black Harvest uh, Film Festival. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everyone. <laughs>